Two Tribes is a two-part documentary series for RTE looking at the history of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and their roots in the Irish Civil War and how an intense rivalry gave way eventually to a coalition government. Now we bring you extended interviews with participants in the series. Dick Spring was leader of the Labour Party and Tánishta. He worked in coalition both with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Dick Spring, thank you so much indeed for joining us for this conversation. Our, our topic is civil war politics and the parties, but you, I suppose, were in the unique position uh, of looking at it from the outside, doing business with both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. When you hear the phrase civil war politics, what comes to mind? Well, I suppose, Sean, coming from Kerry, um, a lot of horrible stories come out of the civil war in Kerry. It was a very bitter feud in our county and quite close to places where I spent my childhood. A lot of incidents happened, a lot of uh, bad memories, Knocknagoshal um, and Ballyseedy being the two big ones that everybody talked about when we were growing up. There was almost a sinister feeling about the Civil War and people didn't want to talk about it. Families had been on different sides, they'd been separated and split up. And it was an area I think that people really just didn't wanted to get away from and move on. And in that respect, I think they everybody I think in fairness to all sides, I think they all realised they had to move on. A very strong healing factor in Kerry, in fact, was Gaelic football, the GEA. Um, they worked together, people who had been members of the Free State Army and people who had been on the Republican side were playing together in Kerry football and they made special arrangements that they could play and if, if somebody was under police watch, they had arranged that they wouldn't be taken into custody. And that, that was a big healing factor, particularly in the late 20s and early 30s, when people like Con Brosnan and John Joe Sheehy were involved in the GA. They would have been on opposite sides of the Civil War, but they made up and played for Kerry. Your father, Dan Spring, became a TD in the 1940s, a Labour TD. Now, was he somebody who maybe benefited from the, the support of people who didn't want to be associated with either of the Civil War sides? I think there, there was a strong element of that, Sean. There had been a previous uh, Labour candidate in North Kerry, uh, John Joe Kelly from out in North Kerry, who didn't succeed and ran, in fact, with my father in the first election in '43 as well. Um, there was also, I think, uh, difficulty um, before my father stood for Labour, they would have been, it would have been Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, primarily, say, in the town of Tralee. But as you're aware, uh, De Valera had his own policy in relation to the Republicans at that time, and there were quite a number of executions that took place, particularly two out of Kerry. Uh, there was Neil from Carsevine, and there was Charlie Kearns, who was actually a teammate of my father's in Tralee. And that left a lot of bitterness, obviously, around that time. And I suspect that a lot of older Fianna Fáil people couldn't vote for Fianna Fáil and there was an opportunity for Labour. Also, I think you're aware he played on the Kerry team, he captained the Kerry team, in Victor victorious Kerry team in 1940. So he would have been fairly well known. And um, I mean, one thing I would say about my father was he was one hard worker. You know, he won the seat and held on to it for 11 elections, which was a fair achievement. What was your own sense of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and the differences between them as you were growing up? Well, you know, Fianna Fáil, apart from holding out that they were the Republican Party, they were far more probably associated with working-class people. I always assumed Fine Gael, by background, well, they, you know, they did represent farmers, big farmers, um, and they represented the professional classes and people of land and property. So there was quite a, quite a divide between the two parties. Having seen how hard your, your father had to work 
and having your own career options at the bar and being a prominent sports person. Did you have any misgivings about the idea of a career in politics? <sighs> Not particularly. I think it was um, my older brother had gone off to up a medical practice. My younger brother, Don, was still in university. I was the guy in the middle. Uh, I probably had taken the most interest in my father's. I was, I was making speeches off the back of tr tractor and trailers when I was about 15. I had a genuine interest in politics. And um, I think at that time, the opportunity arose, you know, very hard to pass it by, an opportunity to get involved in politics and to, you know, work for the betterment of society. And that's what it was all about. So, you know, people have often said to me, would you do it again? I think I would do it, you know, now Christy mightn't agree, but I think I would do it again. You were first elected in 1981. Um, Labour went into government. That government didn't last very long. It was a short-lived Fianna Fáil government. And literally within a year and a half of your first election, you found yourself not just leader of the Labour Party, but Tánaiste. Yeah, it all happened very quickly. And mind you, in the meantime, I'd had a car crash as well, which left me rather uh, knocked out. And um, there was a medical question, actually, at that time, whether or not I would be able to take on the job. And um, I did consult a number of people, and you know, they said, you're probably going to be working as hard anyway, even if you don't take it on. So. I convinced my good wife and my family that uh, there was an opportunity there. And I think if memory serves me correctly, we had about 16, either 14 or 16 deputies at the time. I was challenged by one Michael D. Higgins. I wonder would it have gone the other way had I lost the election to Michael D. Higgins. And um, I think in effect, uh, I was one of the people at that time, even though I was young to the party, I really hadn't been around long enough to fight with too many people. The Labour Party were good for infighting at that time. and. Um, I got the support and I think I was elected leader on a Monday and Charlie Hoy dissolved it all on Thursday. So campaign on. As we know, Gareth Fitzgerald came back as Taoiseach. You were his Taunishta. What was it like negotiating as a, as a still, a, I suppose, a freshman TD uh, with Fine Gael to form that government? I suppose the number one thing, Sean, is that both parties wanted to go into government. You know, that, that was the number one priority. I, Quite honestly, negotiating with Garrett was, I had a lot, you know, great trust and admiration for him in earlier years. And Garrett was very close to the Labour Party in terms of social policy. So from that point of view, you know, if Garrett and myself were left get on with it, we probably would have done in half the time. But when the others, other influences in Fine Gael uh, want, wanted their input. Um, but overall, I would say it was done in a good spirit of cooperation. What was your father's attitude to coalition? Because there was a time, I think in the late 60s, uh, Labour refused to do a deal with Fine Gael and the 70s were to be socialist and there were all these high-profile people that came in. Some of them got elected, others didn't. But Fianna Fáil, the, the option was Fianna Fáil got back in yeah. in 69. Well, when you look at it, the Labour Party got a very sol solid vote in 69. The 70s will be socialist was the slogan. But they lost a number of seats because of uh, too many candidates. My father and Michael Pat Murphy in Southwest Cork were the only two who refused to take running mates. And if they had taken running mates, the chances are they would have lost their seats because there wasn't. There was a Labour seat, but there wasn't. You know, there wasn't a seat and a half. And uh, despite central policy being dictated from Dublin, uh, they just said, "I actually spent a night in my house cutting off the bottom of the poster, which said, in order of your vote Labour in order of your choice.' I had to remove in order of your choice." And my father, he was the only out, outgoing uh, candidate, outgoing TD, because um, two others had retired. And uh, he still got the third seat. 
So, and he, he wouldn't have been re-elected if he had run a running mate. And a number of people like, uh, I think, Tom Kine, Eileen Desmond, lost seats because of that particular policy. So coming back then, Dick, to you're, you're going into government with Gareth Fitzgerald, you got on well, you were of similar outlook in certain respects, but it seemed to be almost a battle a day, though, in Cabinet uh, when it came to implementing the policies. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it was a tough, tough situation. And, uh, and also we were faced with fairly serious economic circumstances. Um, I remember distinctly we put in 100 million into the Department of the Environment for a house building programme to discover, you know, within a week, there wasn't 100 million. Uh, you know, the expression cooking the books used to be around in those days, and the country was in pretty rag order uh, economically, and it was a question of trying to do your best in difficult circumstances. You, at one stage, uh, took issue, I think from your hospital bed, around budget time with uh, parameters that had been set out by your cabinet colleague, Alan Jukes. Yeah, I, I just felt he had he'd gone a step too far, and we hadn't been agreed. And, you know, uh, I had just gone back in for a further operation a year after, I think it was a year after my car accident, to remove metal out of my body. Um, but I just felt the statement had to be made and no better place to do it from Dr. Stevens' hospital. And how did you get on with Alan Jukes afterwards? Uh, I think professionally we got on fine. And, uh, you know, um, Alan uh, had a job to... This is the other side. Alan had a job to do and, you know, what... One reason I was never, never wanted to be Minister of Finance is because you could never say no to people in Kerry and they, could, they wouldn't be able to understand why you couldn't deliver X, Y and Z. But of course, it's a, it's a limited pool. How did you get on in that cabinet with John Bruton? Initially, he was Minister for Industry, subsequently Minister for Finance. Uh, John and I, you know, we came from probably rather different backgrounds, um, probably had different, very different political philosophies. But I think as individuals, we got, you know, we had a few robust discussions. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, we worked, you know, for the betterment of the country. And you have to get over any particular personal, the personality differences, which we did. What kind of things did you clash on? Was it things like, I mean, you had a big uh, national development corporation. Yeah. That was the Labour's big idea around That's then. right. Well, John Bruton really didn't, didn't believe in that. And, you know, John, John was very much private enterprise. And you, you, you couldn't, I suppose his attitude would be that you, you, you can't create jobs through a National Development Corporation, which, of course, we would have been public sector driven. And we felt we could. And that did lead to a lot of difficulties within Cabinet, no doubt about that. What about the state of the public finances? Um, borrowing had been let uh, get out of control. That Fitzgerald-led government came in promising to, to get the books right. But would it be fair to say that you actually failed in that objective to get the public finances under control by the time your term of office was over? Well, we, certainly we didn't achieve our objectives in that respect. And, you know, economically, it was very difficult. We didn't have anything like the economic success that came later in the 90s, for example. Uh, and I think there were circumstances as well. The world economy wasn't exactly in great shape. We weren't getting foreign direct investment uh, at any, you know, reasonable extent. And Ireland was probably not an attractive place at that time in terms of foreign direct investment. Plus, there was still a lot of the older industries were being wiped out because, you know, since we joined the European the EEC, we lost a lot of our traditional industries. And that was still, the legacy of that was still there. Um, and I think in the circumstances, you know, if, if you had strict fiscal policy in relation to Fine Gael would have gone, for, obviously, for a lot more budget tightening which we, the Labour Party, felt we couldn't sustain. And that, that was, there was definitely a difference of opinion in that. Uh, even though Garrett would 
quite often be on the side of the Labour Party in that argument. I think he sometimes used to say, either half-joking or whole in earnest, that he was the extra Labour minister at Cabinet. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he, his... Garrett certainly was, you know, very much on the left of Fine Gael in terms of the traditional Fine Gael party. Uh, and he was, um, I think, the Just Society as well, you know, very much part of that. And I think, I think he would have wanted to see a much fairer society than the society that we had inherited at that time in terms of wealth distribution, in terms of opportunity, equal opportunity for people. Talking about uh, social issues, uh, that was a government that had two referenda, one on abortion, which inserted the Eighth Amendment in the Constitution. Then there was a divorce referendum, which was lost in 1986. What are your own reflections on those campaigns? They were very difficult campaigns. I mean, the country was very divided at that time, um, much more so than in the present climate, obviously. And they were, they were particularly difficult uh, for, I think, rural, rural deputies. Uh, and there were a lot of very nasty campaigns around the country. Uh, and abortion was the subject at that time you were almost afraid to talk about because you were going to be accused of being an abortionist. And that was probably the biggest uh, slogan that could have been thrown at you in rural Ireland. The Catholic Church was very strong, obviously. The pro-life lobby was very strong. Uh, they were difficult campaigns. And then when it came to the divorce campaign, if you were seen to be in favour of divorce, people used to ask the question, oh, we know why he wants divorce. You know, implications like that. Uh, and I, my, my attitude to divorce was that people shouldn't be forced to live together if they weren't capable of living together. It was as simple as that. And I'd seen many situations, family situations, where people would have been far better off to be able to live their lives separately. Garrett Fitzgerald uh, accepted, unwisely he would have said in hindsight, a wording brought forward by Mr. Hawhey in the dying days of that short-lived government in 82. Uh, but I think you made clear before you went into government, did you not, that you weren't going to be part of uh, a campaign or a government that would insert that particular provision yeah. in the Constitution. Yeah, you know, I was a practicing lawyer before that and I took very good, sound legal advice and medical advice and I predicted all the things that were going to happen. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a viable solution to the problem we were facing and it was accepted far too hastily by both Charlie Hawley and Garrett and I think afterwards Garrett regretted that. Did it damage Labour politically for you to have gone out on a limb, as it were, at that stage? Um, it was high-risk politics at that stage, but, uh, you know, you have to live by your convictions and I wasn't going to go along just because the other two had said that they were doing it. The other big... Uh, government project or priority at that stage was Northern Ireland. You were there when the, the Anglo-Irish Agreement was signed. What was your own role in that? Um, Gareth Fitzgerald, Peter Barry and myself would have worked very closely together. Peter obviously as foreign minister and Gareth as Taoiseach. And I think in fairness to all three of us, we all, Northern Ireland would have been very high on the three of our political agendas. Uh, two things that when I came into politics, one was unemployment and the other was Northern Ireland. I felt that they were the two big issues confronting us. Uh, and Northern Ireland, as far as I'm concerned, was a big stain on the history of Ireland and we needed to find a solution. And um, I think in fairness, I would always say Gareth Fitzgerald's persistence dealing with Margaret Thatcher, who really had little or no interest in Northern Ireland. I mean, I always said if she had an agenda of 15 things, it was about number 12 or 13. It was a security problem. And it was only Gareth's persistence, well helped and assisted by some civil servants, as you know, David Goodall and others, who had a genuine commitment to finding a resolution to a very difficult problem. And um, Gareth persisted. And you may recall on one occasion, Gareth actually got a lift home from a funeral in India on Margaret Thatcher's 
uh, government jet. And of course, he was attacked by Hawhey, you know, for being on the British government jet. And of course, Garrett said to me, sure, he had her attention for seven hours. And I know what he talked about for seven hours. And, uh, you know, in fairness, uh, having read her biographies and since, I mean, she, she had little or no interest. Uh, she did it reluctantly. Uh, but thankfully, the civil servants convinced her that we had to move forward. How concerned were you and he and Peter Barry and the government generally with the unrelenting opposition from the Fianna Fáil side of the House, particularly when the, Irish, when the Anglo-Irish agreement was brought forward? found it very difficult to understand, um, you know, in terms of Fianna Fáil's aspirations all, all the years back for reunification, etc. And here we were making the first bit of solid progress in terms of north-south relations, and Fianna Fáil uh, choose to oppose it, uh, which I think was a very big mistake. And in retrospect, I think that's accepted now by most reasonable Fianna Fáil people. They even sent Brian Lennon out to Washington. But I think Brian got cold turkey in Washington because the four horsemen were very much on the side of the Irish government and knew that they wanted to assist in every way possible. So it was a bad call. Uh, I think it was a serious mistake in terms of the politics of the country. And I think, uh, in retrospect, uh, Hawhey should have been bigger at that time. And when he came back leading a minority government in 1987, he actually went and implemented its provisions. Um, that, that government uh, ended, uh, I suppose, before it needed to because he called an election, thinking he'd get a majority, didn't get it. And then there were fairly robust exchanges, I think, on the floor, across the floor of the Dáil between you and him, literally the day the Dáil reconvened. Well, I had looked up the constitutional position, which had never been challenged before. And uh, was he Taoiseach or was he a caretaker Taoiseach? Did he have to go to the park to resign? Uh, and in, as it happens, I was proven right on that one. And, uh, but I suppose it didn't help my relationship with Ho Charlie Howey, which wasn't good anyway. Um, and uh, just, just to recap, um, he lost a vote when he was nominated for Taoiseach. Right. And he proposed, I think, to just continue on. Just carry on, on yeah. Which, probably in retrospect, if I hadn't uh, checked out the point, well advised by people from the law library, it probably would have just carried on. But uh, my point was that he had lost the vote and he had to go to the park. And then he became a caretaker teacher, obviously. And he led then a, a, another government, which was a majority government, with the Progressive Democrats. What did you think when you saw that happening? Anything is possible in politics, Sean. And needs must. Uh, if he wanted to stay in power, he had to form a coalition. Uh, my mandate after that election was to talk to all the other leaders to, in relation to coalition. I went up to the fifth floor to see Mr. Hawhey and he said, we probably won't be going into government together, so let's have a cup of tea. And we'll talk about the deer in Inishvikalon, which was about a half an hour's conversation. But it was obvious Labour and Fianna Fáil weren't going to go into government at that time. It was a big, a big change. Um, I, actually, I think it was a bigger surprise to the Fianna Fáil party than to anybody else. They didn't believe that he would do it, especially given the acrimonious relationship with Des O'Malley. Um, but they managed to put that together. You know, it wasn't the most solid of foundations, but they worked at it until other things happened. The biggest other thing that happened was that uh, Mr. Ahi was deposed. He was succeeded by Albert Reynolds, uh, who in turn um, had uh, a bit of a car crash election. 1992, November. But shortly before that government went out of office, you made a speech excoriating Fianna Fáil for the way they had conducted themselves. Um, and you asked the question how anybody could contemplate going into government with them. And yet, a few short weeks later. 
Well, yeah, if you look at the situation that we, we had a very good election, obviously, in the Labour Party, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael both had pretty poor performances. And then the question was to try and put a government together. And um, I think all politicians' first priority is let's, not, let's stay away from another election. When you've come through an election in three weeks or four weeks of campaigning, etc., etc., uh, and at that time, Fine Gael had a policy that they would not go into go government with the Democratic left, with Prince Rossa and the Democratic left. Um, and the numbers between Fine Gael and Labour didn't add up at that time. So that put us in another direction. And the only other option was with Fianna Fáil. And we, I think, uh, if I remember certainly correctly, Fergus Finlay gave a copy of our uh, election, policy document to Martin Manser at the time. And I think when Martin read it, he realised that there was nothing in it that Fianna Fáil couldn't live with. So they decided that they should start talking to us. And we put the government together uh, short, in a relatively short time. To go back just a little bit, um, you, you had talks with other party leaders. Um, you had an exchange. You, I think you met John Bruton, leader of Fine Gael at the time, in the Constitution Room at uh, the Shelburne Hotel. That's right. What do you remember from that meeting? Um, it was a difficult meeting. Um, and I think we left it realising that we probably wouldn't be doing business together at that moment. Just that whatever was required, plus the fact that the numbers weren't going to add up. And, you know, you weren't going to go into a minority situation. That wouldn't have lasted. Did you discuss in any serious way the idea of trying to bring in the Democratic left at that stage? I, I, from memory, Sean, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. But it was Fine Gael policy at that time that they would not... You know, they, were so, they felt so far apart from Democratic left on all policy issues that they weren't going to work w with. Was John Bruton surprised? Would you say he was surprised by your attitude towards him at the time? Um, surprised, verging on shocked, possibly. Um, it was difficult for John, obviously, because, um, you know, he, he wanted to get into government as well. Um, but, you know, at that time, I just didn't see it happening. But you had previous with him, didn't you? We had form, yes. Was it that the chemistry just wasn't there between you? I, that's probably a fair um, assertion. Uh, the chemistry wasn't good. Thankfully, sometime later, it changed. Before we get to that, I mean, was it your sense that he didn't really respect you? He didn't respect the Labour Party? It was a bit, a bit of that feeling, yes. There's no doubt about that. John, um, he, you know, contrast between Garrett and himself. I mean, Garrett had a lot of respect for the Labour Party, where, what the Labour Party stood for, where we came from, uh, and easy to work with. Now, John, had, I suspect, didn't have much of a feeling for the Labour Party, which is fair enough. He didn't have to have a feeling for the Labour Party. But um, we just did, at that point in time, we just didn't have the mutual chemistry. But having said what you'd said in the Dáil before the election was called, people were aghast in many instances, and some of your own people. Yeah. at the notion that you would go into government with Fianna Fáil, with Albert Reynolds as teacher. Yeah, it was a shock to the system because, you know, for the previous 50 years, it was Fianna Fáil or, or Fine Gael Labour, and they were the only choices. And I probably thought at the time that I was also creating a bit more space for the Labour Party. That, you know, we used to, people used to say we were taken for granted by Fine Gael, we were the mudguard on the Fine Gael government wagon, etc., etc. And I thought we might be able to create other options and become the party in the middle you know, and work with both on our terms. It is referred to as the election of the spring tide, 32 seats for Labour, I think almost doubling uh, your, your, your previous number. 
So you were in a better negotiating position. Tell me about doing business with Albert Reynolds. Um, it was a very different experience, obviously, when you think of the personalities of Gareth Fitzgerald again and Albert Reynolds. Um, totally different personalities, totally different backgrounds, political philosophies. And Albert, to me, Albert was strictly business. You know, he didn't, he didn't bring baggage with him, really, in relation, particularly in relation to Northern Ireland. Albert saw Northern Ireland as, let's get this fixed. You know, forget the history, let's get it fixed. We've got to get these guys into a room, get them talking, get the British on side. And in fairness, you know, I have to acknowledge his contribution to Northern Ireland. It was very substantial, and he was very committed to it. Um, and, you know, he... We, we, the government was difficult, and the, the circumstances, obviously, because of the tribunal um, and stuff like that, and that was always hanging over us. And that needed to be very carefully managed. And unfortunately, it was very badly managed when it was published. How? Well, to the extent that the Labour Party were almost excluded from the publication and from getting, even receiving the copy of the report. And Albert and his team wanted to get their version, you know, get their story in first. Vindication. Vindication, yeah. That's a word that I find very hard to live with these days or ever since. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it, it fractured everything in that respect. And it was very difficult to put, you know, when you break a bit of crockery, it's very hard to put it back together again. Did you and he, did you talk to him about that in the aftermath and say, look, this can't go on? We tried. We tried. Um, but I, I always say that Albert's idea of consultation is that he would tell you what he was going to do. You know, which not, was not my idea of consultation. You know, we were equal partners. Okay, the numbers, they had bigger numbers than we had, obviously. Uh, but we were equal partners in government and um, we, we never got that chemistry uh, between Albert and myself that the others around us needed. And, um, you know, I always felt that uh, anything more than two parties in government would be very unmanageable. But in fact, ironically, when we went into the Rainbow Coalition, the fact that there were three people in the room, you always knew what was going to be resolved, as opposed to two people have a conversation, leave the room, and they both have completely opposite conclusions. And then there were other events, the appointment of Harry Whelan as he was the Attorney General, as President of the High Court. Why did Labour get so deep into the trenches on that one? Uh, again, it was, uh, there was no consultation. Um, and, you know, there, it warranted, an appointment like that warranted a careful consideration by both parties in government. It didn't happen. And uh, we made our, our views known. You know, as you know, we walked out of government over it and uh, effectively it brought down the government. Not before a few other twists and yeah. turns al along yeah. the way. Was part of the Labour reservation about Harry Whelan to do with the fact that he was the Attorney General responsible for the X case who insisted that there be the injunction taken against the 14-year-old girl? Were you, were you holding, were you, did you see that as the reason to oppose his that, appointment? That was in the background, there's no doubt about that, and that was difficult. And uh, from a personal point of view, it was very difficult in terms of the, the whole thing. Um, at a personal level, it was extremely difficult, but then there was a political level as well. And um, ultimately, I would say the lack of consultation and things shouldn't be done without agreement. And, you know, it was obvious, and it was very obvious to all the other Fianna Fáil ministers as well, that there was no agreement and there was going to be trouble. But Albert went on with it, went ahead with it. And were you trying to, or were you and your colleagues, your, your, your advisors, trying with people slightly down the, the ranks from the Taoiseach's office to 
get this fixed. Yeah, people who saw it coming and Labour ministers and Fianna Fáil ministers were meeting to try to see if they could patch this up, really. And it didn't work. And then you had the, 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 the whole question of the priest, uh, the paedophile, Brendan Smith. That came in and there was a, a scandal about the, the slow methods or the slow way in which he, his extradition case was dealt with and questions were asked about the Attorney General and it ended up with, with Albert Reynolds saying he regretted appointing Harry Whelan, asking him to resign his position, which he blithely refused to do. And yet you nearly pulled the thing out of the fire in terms of saving that government. Yeah, it, you know, people made the effort. Again, you know, I think the political priority would be to see, could you have fixed up the government? But I, I think, you, you know, you can take so many blows and so many belts and eventually you just get one too many and you don't get up again. And there's also, I think, you know, in politics, you have to have a certain degree of respect for oneself and for what one stands for. And, uh, you know, it was fairly obvious to me that we were being pushed around again. But Al Albert Reynolds resigned. He was replaced by Bertie Ahern. And then, you know, it looked like the, the, the game was on again between Labour and Fianna Fáil. Uh, Bertie certainly thought he was going to get uh, uh, elected Taoiseach and the coalition would, would continue on. What caused that arrangement to come apart? Well, ultimately, um, information started coming out to us that we couldn't live with, basically. Um, and I think at the last, very close, we were about two days prior to government being formed. I think we were, and we were well down the track. Bertie and I had lots of negotiations and we were almost there. And uh, then information was revealed to us that we weren't getting and where we should have been getting it. In effect, what happened was uh, Geraldine Kennedy the Irish Times published an article with information that we hadn't had access to and that was really the end of the process. How did you go about uh, breaking it off with Bertie Hearn, so to speak? Strictly business. But how did you tell him? <laughs> we're not, we're not, I, I, a message was conveyed to them that we weren't, we were breaking off negotiations. You know. I mean, did you ring him personally in the middle of the night? No, Sean, I, I, don't, I don't recall. Genuinely don't recall at this stage. When you decided not to go in with Bertie Ahern because of the reasons of lack of trust and, 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 and good faith and so forth, as you would have seen it, at what stage did you decide, OK, we don't need an election now? Um, I, I genuinely can't say if I woke up the next day and said we're not having an election, we're going to go and look for another government. Um, but I think noises were being made on the side that Fine Gael would go into government with Democratic left, which was a big change uh, in their ideology. Uh, and the numbers were going to stand up. And they had changed. I think there was a by-election that gave a seat to the That's DL. Right. That's right. They had the extra seat at that time, so it would add up. And that was all that was wanted. We were short one originally in 92. And um, I think at the time, genuinely, people did not want another general election. Uh, and in those circumstances, you do your utmost to see if you can put together a coalition, a rainbow coalition. So what was it like when yourself and John Bruton got back in the room together? Um, well, I think we both realised we needed to do business together. And in fairness, and I said, and I regard John's a good friend now, I think we overcame a lot of our previous difficulties and decided to get stuck in and get working. And from my recollection, it, we worked very well together for the next two and a half years. And as you say, the third party was Democratic Left. Uh, Princius de Rossa um, was the leader of that party. Uh, he had made quite the political journey from being interned, I think, in the 50s to being uh, senior minister in, in, in that government. Um, and he got on, did he get on particularly well with John Bruton? They, they had a strong alliance, the two of them, yes. Uh, I was the third man. 
Um, he did, yeah, and he worked genuinely very hard in social welfare, the Department of Social Welfare. And um, my relationship with Prunchius would have been rather, I think, professional. Uh, you know, we were not buddies of any sort. We had a lot of animosity towards one another, and I always felt Democratic left were trying to steal the Labour Party's clothing anyway for the previous... They'd given us a terrible time uh, for the previous 10 years. And But, again, you know, we overcame that, and we worked together, and I genuinely... I, I don't recall ever having a serious row with Princess the Ross when we were in government. Just to go back a little bit uh, to Northern Ireland, uh, the Downing Street Declaration, I suppose, was the high point prior to the ceasefire, obviously, sure. of that government's time in office. You were there for both of those events. Um, I mean, Albert Reynolds and John Major had previously established as finance minister and chancellor a pretty good working relationship. Um, but presumably there were others and there were others sort of factors in the mix that led to that? Well, people nowadays find it very hard to understand how bleak the situation was in Northern Ireland back in the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s, up to the ceasefire. And it's very hard to explain to young people the background we were operating against. And I think the one thing, in fairness to both John Major and Albert Reynolds, they really were determined uh, to find a progress, to make progress. You, know, you weren't going to have the ultimate solution then. And you may recall John Major was saying he would get sick in his stomach if he had to talk to Sinn Féin at that time, et cetera, et cetera. I was working with Paddy Mayhew, um, who often said to me, if his relations had stayed in uh, County Cork and mine had stayed in Suffolk, we might have been on the opposite side of the negotiations. And we had, we had a very good relationship, uh, Paddy Mayhew and I. Um, and, but at that time, the unionists and the Sinn Féin wouldn't be in the same, they, could, they wouldn't share the same television or they wouldn't share, share the same room. So we invented the proximity talks. You know, I'd bring in one crowd in one door, then they'd go out and the other crowd would come in and I'd relay between them what, what people were trying to achieve. And, um, but genuinely, I think I would always have to admire uh, both Albert and John Major for their contribution, uh, which they both genuinely and as I said earlier, I don't think either of them had severe baggage in terms of republicanism or conservatism in John Major's case. And they were able to work together. And they had a prior good relationship from their days in finance. Looking back at, having, at your time, having worked closely with Fianna Fáil partners in government, with Fine Gael partners in government, how would you describe the differences? Or how different were they? Um, I suppose... There was tradition in the Fine Gael, Labour Fine Gael. There was a tradition, whereas, in, in effect, <laughs> and given the consequences, that Labour and Fianna Fáil was a whole new ball game, uh, which with no track record. Uh, whereas there was a lot of commonality over that had developed over the years between Labour and Fine Gael, and they knew the workings of coalition together and how they had to both sides had to give up things and stuff like that. Whereas uh, Fianna Fáil had a very short experience, a very bad experience of coalition with the Progressive Democrats. And it was, a, you know, if you like, a new experiment with us. Um, so they were, they were different in many respects. Um, and also, I think their politics, uh, you know, Fianna Fáil are very were always very pragmatic. I think they used to cherry pick the, some of the issues and let the civil servants get on with the rest of the stuff, give us the big stuff. Uh, whereas Labour and Fine Gael perhaps wanted to change, you know, wanted to take on the whole system. Uh, with, maybe not always the best results. Uh, you took on too much, but you thought you were going to change everything. You got a good majority, as I recall it. I think the meeting was, might have been in the, in the Gaiety when you went, or sorry, the National Concert Hall when you went forward with the proposal to go into government uh, w w with Fianna Fáil that time. But 
Was there a sense of betrayal on the part of some of your supporters? They, well, you see, you, you know, for the Labour Party uh, canvasser, lifer, people working for the party at grassroots level, you know, they were always working for the Labour Party, primarily against Fianna Fáil. And you had to try to explain to them, well, that was then, now we have a different situation. And there were a lot of older Labour Party people who had difficulty understanding it. But how did you square what you had said in the Dáil weeks before the election, short weeks before the election, with going into government with them? Probably in the same way as Fianna Fáil squared the coalitions are bad for the country. You know, you're, politics is the art of the possible and you're dealt a, a, set, a hand of cards and you have to play them. But when you made that speech, did it cross your mind at all that you might have to eat your words? It probably didn't. In the heat of the moment, inside in the doll chamber, when I was attacking the old enemy, Fianna Fáil, no. There was another occasion, I think, when you described Charles Hawley as a cancer eating away at the body politic, or words to that effect. Yeah, I, I, I regretted that afterward. I regretted using that expression, cancer because, as we all know, sadly, almost all of our families have, have an interaction with cancer and it's, not, it's always not a good, good story. And it, I shouldn't have used that expression, and I regretted it afterwards. In fact, I had even relations of mine all over the world writing to me, telling me that I'd gone a step too far. And when you walked away from the chance to, you know, reconstruct the government with Fianna Fáil and Bertie Hearn, then you went into the Rainbow Coalition and that government went on and has been widely praised for, for some of the things it did. It lasted just about two and a half years. Yeah. But the, arguably the price you paid for that was to deprive Labour of being in government for the next 14 years. Some people would take that view. Um, I certainly couldn't have been in government for the next 14 years with Fianna Fáil. Um, and I don't think the Labour Party would have either, Sean, to be honest. Why? I just, I think they, they wouldn't have agreed on policy issues, on party programmes, to put it together. Um, that's, that's my view. Would there not at least have been a pretty good chance that you would have been re-elected in 97? If it had held together? I mean, if it had held together, who knows what would have happened? I don't know. It's often been said as well that Labour are the ones who go in and they um, support tough measures as you did in the 80s, as Eamon Gilmore and later John Burton and their colleagues did in the um, 2011 to 2016 period, but that Labour always tends to pay a bigger price uh, yeah. for those hearts. What are your thoughts on that? My own expression one time was that we got 5% of the vote and we got 95% uh, of the blame. But I think just the Labour Party supporters, you know, wanted us in government to do certain things. And I think they expected us to achieve the impossible. Um, and that's not to be unfair to anybody. But, you know, the, the reality is, and I think even watching governments today, what are the issues we're talking about in the, in the modern generation? Housing, health services, you know, transport, etc. They were the issues of, of yesteryear as well. And I think what you're doing all the time is trying to do your best to achieve. And as I said to you, my going into politics, two things, if you'd ask me, why are you doing this? I'm doing it, one, I'm doing it because I, I want to improve the employment opportunities for people in Ireland. And secondly, I want to make a contribution to solving the problems of Northern Ireland. And if you, you know, I genuinely felt in 2002 when I left politics or when politics left me, that I had made a contribution and things were in a much better situation than they were when I took up politics in 1979.
What gives you most satisfaction when you look back at your time in politics? I would say uh, Northern Ireland, definitely Northern Ireland. And in fairness, the employment opportunities that were created back in the 90s, the country was transformed in terms of opportunities for young people. And um, my father always said one of his saddest experiences would be on the train coming to Dublin with young people who were leaving for London or for further afield. And in our time, thankfully, that has stopped. When you see now the two parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, the civil war parties, they're in government and in coalition together along with the Green Party. Um, did any of that surprise you, I mean, the way that came about? Not, not particularly in terms of the way the um, election results came the last time out. Uh, there was little choice. But what has, what has surprised me is if you were had to say to me 20, 30 years ago that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael between them would have less than 50% of the vote. I mean, they were polling well up in the 70s back in my time. And I, likewise, I would never have seen a situation uh, which happened in 2011 where Fianna Fáil were almost wiped out. I mean, here was a party that, con that ran the state virtually since the foundation of the state uh, and were very strong in every parish and every community, um, in all the professions, etc., etc. And the people, as had happened in Canada a few years previously, you might recall, an election in Canada, I think the party went from 133 down to 2. And when I saw that happening, actually, it struck a chord with me that this could happen anywhere in the world. And I also think that um, there's a lot less loyalty there now uh, amongst people, and people are breaking with their families and going to different parties, obviously, uh, and it can continue to happen. Could you see Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael coming together, uniting, merging? Uh, I think that's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. They could probably do it at national level, but I think at local level it wouldn't be tolerated. And which of them do you think is more or less likely to coalesce with Sinn Féin if the numbers produce a certain uh, result at the next election? I think it'll be difficult for either of them in terms of their party's historical position. But then again, they may be confronted with no choice. Um, people would seem to indicate that Fianna Fáil would be more comfortable. But then, you know, Fine Gael have ambitious people at the head of it as well, and they may want to stay, stay in government. Uh, on the other hand, Sinn Féin, even on present polling, uh, will need, need partners. Uh, alternatively, that may mean that there's another possible coalition on the other side of the House. So I think anything is possible. Could you see Labour being a part of the government after the next election, perhaps even with Sinn Féin? If they, if Labour, my, I, personally, I feel very strongly that Labour need to rebuild the party. They need 12 to 15 seats if they want to make a substantial contribution to Irish politics. And I think that should be the target for Ivana Bacic in the, for, for the foreseeable future.